0: Welcome to the Awake Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about rescue. And some of you may recall a story that I saw, I believe it was earlier this year, and it was about some castaways, a a group of sailors whose boat capsized at sea, and they ended up washed up on the shore of this deserted island. And the way they were rescued is they literally, with uh, leaves and, and branches from the tree, they spelled out the word HELP in big, huge letters across the beach. And a pilot was flying overhead and saw their sign for help, and that's how they were spotted, and that's how they were rescued. And I I don't know what it was about this story that caught my attention. It just, it reminded me more of an episode from Gilligan's Island. In some ways, it just seemed so unrealistic or something from a Tom Hanks movie. But I wondered today, it got me thinking that today with all of our progress and all of our technology, are people really still crying out for help by spelling out the letters on a beach And then it made me start thinking a little deeper about about the work that I do every day. And I thought, just like that pilot, we are all flying around in our planes. We're safe, and in some ways, we're already rescued ourselves. And if we're not careful, we'll simply just miss the signs. We'll fly from one destination to the other in our hurried lives, and we forget why we are rescued in the first place. We forget that we're supposed to be on a rescue mission every day. We forget that we are rescued to rescue. You know, I I think the concept of rescue first became real to me when I went on my first baby rescue mission in Guatemala. And I had heard about these children, these babies and young children who were literally dying on the verge of death because they didn't have food and they didn't have clean water. They were severely malnourished, that was making them sick, but equally the effects of the dirty water they were drinking was making them sick as well. And I'll never forget that first time traveling high into the hills and the mountains of Guatemala and finding this little girl named Blanca. Her family lived at the top of this hill It took us hours to get to her. Um, They were a family of extreme poverty. Uh, The parents loved their children and wanted to take care of them that simply had no resources. And when we found little Blanca that day, she was just skin and bones. I, I don't know what would have happened to her had we not made it there to her village that day. But months later, I was able to see Blanca again and I saw this happy little girl that was thriving and and so healthy and a mother that was no longer worried and rescue became real to me. I had seen it with my own eyes and you can watch Blanca's whole story on my website at NoelleYates.com. We filmed a little documentary about her story and I'd love for you to watch it if you haven't seen it. But this is how rescue began to become real. And then story after story, I met these other children that we were able to be involved in helping them. I met a little boy named Lex there in Guatemala as well at our rescue center. And heard Lex's story and could not believe what I was hearing because I was sitting there looking at this little boy. I think he was about two years old at the time and he was happy and he just wanted to throw a ball just like all little boys. He would throw a ball back to me and I would throw it back to him and back and forth for what seemed like forever. So when they told me Lex's story, I couldn't believe what I was hearing because they told me about how after Lex was born, his mother was just overcome, overwhelmed, unstable. Perhaps she was suffering from postpartum depression at some sort, but not knowing what to do with Lex, who seemed to cry and be a a fussy baby, she went out to the field, dug a hole, and literally buried Lex alive. And a little neighbor girl in the village saw what was going on from a distance, and as soon as the mom was gone, she ran and, and grabbed another relative, and they went and literally dug Lex up from the ground and saved his life and brought him to the rescue center that was nursing him back to health. And there I saw this happy, thriving boy and couldn't believe where he had come from. In Haiti, there was a little boy named Jimmy, whose mother probably found herself in a similar situation to Lex's mother, a mother of extreme poverty with several children to take care of. And one day, in that desperation, she walked to the riverbank and one by one began drowning her children. Jimmy was the only one that survived. In Uganda, I visited a hospital where I held a seven-year-old little boy who looked like he was three. He was all alone. I don't know how long he had spent in that hospital alone. But that was his last day of feeling abandoned and without hope because he was moving to our rescue home. On this last trip to Guatemala, I I saw a little boy named Diego and I couldn't believe the transformation in his life because I remember seeing the picture of when Diego was found and when he was rescued, he was abandoned in a trash heap. The only thing that saved his life is that you could see his little leg sticking out of that pile of trash. And today he's attending preschool and and running around like any other healthy, happy little boy. And these are just some of the success stories of rescue. But there are also the sad stories that I could tell you, the ones that remind you how urgent the situation is and that every minute, every second matters. Because I also remember waking up one morning in Guatemala to some devastating news because the day before, we had rescued so many children. We had, it was just one after another were coming into the rescue center. And usually I like to document the names and the ages and the details and keep all of those stories precious. But so many were coming in that day. I was having trouble keeping up. And there was one little boy who who really didn't seem bad compared to all the others. But we woke up that morning hearing that in the middle of the night, he had died. And on the steps of the rescue center was the tiniest casket I had ever seen. We had come so close. We had made it almost just in time. I also remember visiting a village where we had heard about this little boy that was sick. His name was Kevin. And the doctors, the local doctors, had done everything they could to help him, but I was convinced if we could just get to him, that, that we could find him the help that he really needs. And as I held that little boy's body, I could tell how sick he was. He was he was sw- so swollen over his whole body, and you, when you would just rub your hand against his skin, it felt like he was just going to burst at any minute. But we didn't want to give up on this little boy, so we left that day with him, and determined to get him the help, and a few days later, I had to go home. And a few days after getting home, I heard the news that little Kevin had passed away. We just didn't make it in time. And you see, if, if we're not careful, it's stories, rescue stories like these, that will make us want to quit and give up, because they're really just too hard to handle in that moment when you hear that news It feels like it's not worth it, that we can just never do enough to make a difference. But see, I believe that it's when you end up in that place of hopelessness and despair that you've forgotten God and you've made him small and you've missed the end of the story, the beautiful end of the story. It's almost as if you've closed that book before reaching the end because the whole story, the full story is far more beautiful and surprising that most people than most people could ever imagine. I've had to realize that in my own human nature, I may want to save them all, but that's not what really God has called me to do. You see, baby rescue has taught me a lot. It's taught me to let go. It's taught me to fight for the ones that I can still fight for, but to let the ones I lose inspire me to keep going because for some we will be too late but for others we're going to be just in time you know this always makes me think of my grandfather and let me explain because a few years back it's been a while I guess now more than a few years I lost my grandfather on my mom's side and I was very close to him he was really a fixture in my life a a constant um, um, uh, stability, I guess you would say, at a time when I really didn't have it. Because I grew up in the ministry. My dad was an evangelist, and we traveled. And I never really felt like I had a home or the same home. So my grandparents' home was really home for me. Um, I lived in an airstream trailer, traveling from church to church, and and living on their parking lots. My husband likes to say that I grew up in the circus, and there are some similarities, I kind of did. So my grandparents' house was special and I loved to go there. And I can remember when we would have to leave as a little child, I would literally grab onto their legs just not wanting to leave their house. And they were, they were simple people. My grandfather was a coal miner and he came to Christ later in life. And I also remember growing up sitting on his lap and just begging him to ask Jesus into his heart. And he later did. So when he got sick, it was hard to say the least, just like anybody who experiences uh, losing a grandparent. And when I got the call that I needed to get to his house fast, I did just that. I drove five hours to where he lived in West Virginia. And as soon as I got there, I ran to his bed that had been moved to the main floor. Hospice had moved in. And I leaned over so he could see me. And he looked up right at me in my eyes and he said, I knew you would come. And I was told later that those were the last words that he spoke and he died just days later. And even through the loss, I'm so thankful for that moment and for those last words that he said to me, but I have found myself over the years Thinking about those words that he said to me and thinking about what they mean to the work that I do. I think those words have started to make me think of something bigger than myself, bigger than my own family. And they have started to make me think about rescue and about all of these children. Because children around the world are waiting. They are waiting for someone to come and rescue them from hunger and disease and and sickness and abuse and slavery. But unless we respond for so many children, we're just too late. No one comes to rescue them. There's no hero in their story. And the sad part is that I never have to worry about whether there will be children to rescue when I go. They are always there and they are always waiting. And I've had to learn that for some of these children, they will simply be too sick by the time we arrive and all we will be able to do is comfort their families and literally help bury their children. Some will die en route to the hospital just, just steps, just steps away from that help that they need. But for others, we will be just in time. And I know I will hear those words, maybe not out loud, but in my head, for those ones that we've made it just in time, I knew you would come. You see, my rescue journey has taken me all around the world. I may have started to really feel the power of rescue through uh, baby rescue in Guatemala and Haiti and Uganda. But really, it encompasses everything I do. I found rescue in women in Ethiopia who are suffering from um, childbirth injuries. I've seen it in women in the sex industry in Thailand and 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 women trapped in the sex industry in India, based on a 500-year-old tradition, I've seen people uh, trapped in the vicious cycle of poverty and sickness simply because they don't have clean water. Rescue encompasses all of those things. But the truth is, rescue is not reserved for a single project or initiative. As people of faith, rescue is what we do. It's who we are. It's what, as people of faith, we should be all about. You see, I I think we already understand this concept of rescue, and depending on your story, you may understand it in a more dramatic way than others. But we all know what it's like to have been rescued. And I think it's why... uh, this concept resonates so much with us because it reminds us of our great need for God, our own need for salvation and our own need for rescue. I've heard it said recently that we are not saved from good works, but we are saved for good works. And as God is sorting out all the brokenness in the world, I believe he's calling us to help him put things right, To make things right, to restore hope. We've been rescued so that we can now rescue. And you know, Jesus, I believe that Jesus heals, he restores, he redeems, he rescues. And that's really our only hope. It's our one hope. And that's the only story. We really have to share with a broken world that the same God who rescued me can rescue you. We're rescued to rescue. And as people of faith, I think we need to remember that. And we need to really remember who we are. This can't just be a department in our churches or a trip that we take once a year Reaching out to people in need, to broken people, is not something that we can just take a week off in the summer to do on foreign soil. This is who we are. It is who we were made to be. It is why we are here on this earth. And it should not be something we simply choose to do, but something that consumes everything that we do. I love how my pastor puts it. He says that, Followers of Jesus follow him into the dark places because the truth is there is no place he refuses to go in order to mend and heal what is broken. As Christians, we are called to the places we want to flee. I love that last line. As Christians, we are called to the places we want to flee. Now for me, that may mean traveling to Africa, baby rescue, helping Uh, women trapped in trafficking in the sex industry, but that is not the only way to rescue because for others, that may mean meeting the needs of people right here in our own communities and in our own neighborhoods. We have to remember who we are, who we were created to be. I want to close with this one story that I heard a few years ago that really captivated me and I think sums this all up. I was at a conference and I was listening to this woman speak and she was a counselor and she was talking about a recent trip uh, that she had been on to Africa. And when she was there, she visited uh, this tourist attraction in Ghana called Cape Coast Castle. And originally this castle was used for trading and then as a fort. But at the height of the transatlantic slave trade, it was used to house slaves that were awaiting transport. And so dungeons were added underneath this castle that could hold up to 1,500 slaves at a time for up to three months. 200 men would be crammed into just one of these tiny rooms. They were chained together, forced to lie in their own urine and feces for up to three months. I mean, can you even imagine the horrific conditions, the, the horrible smell? But like I said, today Cape Coast Castle is a tourist attraction. And so the woman was explaining how she went on this tour and how the tour guide led them through these dungeons. And as they were standing down in the dungeons, he began to tell them this story. He said, guess what is placed right above these dungeons? He said, a chapel. So while hundreds were held captive beneath in these these dungeons, the people above in the chapel probably came to church each week and, and sang and prayed and read scripture and perhaps even took an offering to help the less fortunate. And all the while, there was unbelievable, unspeakable suffering happening right beneath their feet. And then the guide said something like this. He said, heaven was above, but hell was below. And you know, I, I, I couldn't get that story out of my head. And it, it makes me want to scream and say, that is not heaven. And that is not what heaven is all about. Because I believe there are still dungeons on earth today. I have seen them all around the world, the dungeons of poverty and abuse and malnutrition and and slavery. And we have dungeons here in our own communities of of depression and, and crumbling marriages and families. There are dungeons on our earth today, and as people of faith, We need to go into those dungeons, to to reach into the dungeons of this world, to embrace those dungeons, to charge into those dungeons until the dungeons become the church. That is what heaven is all about. And that is what it means to rescue. That is what it means to live a life of faith. We are rescued to rescue. Thank you for listening in today. And until next time, may we all find ourselves awake and doing a world of good.